<clears throat> Praise the Lord. Good morning, Good morning and welcome to the true church of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for the privilege to stand before you in your presence, to worship you and to praise you as we've done. And now, Father, we look forward to the word of God, that you would plant the seed in our heart, that, Father, it would produce fruit. And we'll thank you for that. Lord, touch me in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, the Lord's Report. The Lord's Report. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, in the first verse, reads, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? <clears throat> There's a lot of reports out there. One in particular, the Surgeon General of the United States put a label on all cigarette packages determining that smoking is hazardous to your health. That's a report. There are many other reports indicating other certain things are hazardous to your health. Some people choose to believe those reports and some choose not to. But there's a report that we must believe, except it's the report of the Lord. Amen. We can brush off all of the reports. We can brush off all of the information that comes through us through social media. Or we can accept it, even if it's false. That's a choice that people make. We have free will. The Bible says this. Who hath believed our report? And that's a question. That's part A of that verse. I want to preach to you this morning about this report. When the Bible says, who hath believed our report, it means this. Who will support this report? Who will trust it? Who will confirm that what God says is truth? Not our feelings. Not our opinions. Not peer pressure that people exact upon us. But what does the word of God say? Who hath believed? Who will be faithful to this report? Who will uphold it? Who will be nourished by this report because you accept it and you believe it? Like a mother who nourishes a child in breastfeeding. The child gets nourished. God desires to nourish us through the word of God. And he desires that we stand firm and that we're certain that we believe in the report of the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? Now what's a report? A report is tidings, an account. It's a statement. It's information about something or someone. This Bible, this Bible is a statement about God. This Bible is the word that God has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit from heaven. This is it. The Bible says don't add to it or take away from it. If we go ex cathedra outside the word of God, we're in trouble. It's this book that will uphold truth. It's this book that's everlasting because Jesus is the word of God. 
He came in the flesh, but he is the word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? This is a question that God has asked us. Who will believe this report? This is the word of the Lord, God is saying. It came through the prophets. It came through the disciples. It came through the apostles. It came through the early church. And it comes through preachers who will stand firm on this report and preach the truth and the word of God to their people. God is saying some don't believe this report. God is saying some question this report. God is saying some have their own interpretation of this report. And the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. How does this affect God? And we will answer that question in a moment. In the second part of verse 1, Isaiah 53 and 1, it says, Who and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That's an interesting verse. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The word revealed means to uncover. It means to be uncovered or to be disclosed. So God is saying, to whom will this word be disclosed? To whom will this word be uncovered? To whom will this word be revealed? And it can only be revealed, praise God, by free choice and by free will. And you can't accept just a few parts. You can't accept a little here and a little here because God isn't a smorgasbord. God, God isn't one of those uh, eat all you can in the restaurant where you can pick the buffet. God is not in a spiritual buffet. God says, this is my word. This is, the, this is what I died for. This is what the prophets were killed for. This is why I sacrificed my life. This is why my blood shed upon the earth. This is why my father accepted the blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven that we can be forgiven and healed by the power of Jesus Christ. There's no negotiation. And through the years of being a minister, I've seen people try to negotiate the word of God. And you're wasting your time. You're wasting, wasting effort. It will not work out for you. Unless you go by this book. Follow. The arm of the Lord is revealed to them that believe the Lord's report. Some might say, well, pastor, I don't believe that report. I heard a preacher say that the book of Acts is just not for today. I heard a, I heard a pastor say this or a pastor say that. It don't matter. It don't matter what the theologians say. It doesn't matter what the scholars say. It doesn't matter what backslidden Christians say. It doesn't matter what books that they read. It doesn't matter that they write a book that there's no hell. There's no, it doesn't matter to God. And why doesn't it matter to God? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 3, it says this, For what if some did not believe? It's a question. So what if some did not believe? God is saying, so what? It's your choice. So what if some do not believe? Shall their unbelief Make the faith of God without effect? You think you're going to change the faith of God? You think you're going to change the stand of God? Do you think you can change the word of God? No. But people are trying. We're trying. The Bible says, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Listen, here's God's word. He says, make your yeas, yeas, and your nays, nays. Stand for something, or you'll fall for anything. Hear what I'm saying. Stand for something. I stand for those 
that desire not to kill babies. I desire to stand for those that don't want to kill a full-term child. I stand for that. I stand for those that want law and order in our country. I stand for those that want the rights of Christians to go to church. Do you know that if you read that your rights are being curtailed, they're now taking down worship, okay, on Instagram because it's offensive. And today an article came out on how they want to take down Okay, the Christian presentations on the internet. Persecution's coming. I told you this a few weeks ago. I told you. I tried to warn you as a pastor. I tried to warn you as a church. It's, it's not business as usual, my friend. It's not business as usual. If you don't believe this report, you're going to get caught in a quagmire and you're going to be caught, praise God, going around in circles not knowing where you're going. You need to get a hold of God. I need to get a hold of God. We need to get a hold of God. And we need to stand firm on the report of the Lord and nothing else. God don't care about my opinions. God don't care about what I think about this or think about that. God cares about what's written in this book. And if you go outside this book, you're in the wrong. And God will check you if you allow him to check you. We're reminded in John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because they said, Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, listen to this, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And that's where a lot of Christians are caught up right now, my friend. A lot of Christians will agree with the group that they're with at that moment and not take a stand for the word of God for fear of rejection. You're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting the word of God. Men died for this book. Prophets were killed for this book. They were sawn asunder. They were, they were crucified. They were tortured. Their blood fell on the ground. And the blood of the martyrs is crying out from the streets continually before God, saying, when, Lord? When will you avenge our blood? And the blood of Jesus fell from that cross. And we take lightly the word of God. And we're so consumed by the praise of people and wanting to be accepted by people instead of saying, no, I don't agree with that. Because the word of God says this. It takes strength, it takes courage, and it takes boldness to stand as one. And sometimes, my friend, you're going to find yourself standing as one. That's the truth. You're going to have to stand by yourself. Mommy's not going to help you. Daddy's not going to help you. Your brother, sister's not going to help you. Pastor's not going to help you. i got to stand for myself. And many times God has called me to that test to stand by myself against the tide that was coming against me. But in the name of Jesus Christ, hallelujah, resist the devil and he shall flee. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. It works. Because like years ago they used to say when a preacher preached, it's in the book. That's right. 
It's in the book, preacher. Keep preaching. It's in the book. I used to love that. The Bible says in the second verse of Isaiah 53, 2, for he, meaning a prophecy concerning Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was marred beyond expression on the cross. He was tortured. Read accounts of what he went through. Read accounts on the flesh that was taken out of his back that you could see his bones. Read the accounts of thorns being plucked into his head and his beard plucked out of his face. The spear into his side. This is, these nails weren't thumbtacks. These were nails that were nailed into his flesh as he cried upon the cross, as he gasped, as he tried to bring himself up on those nails on his feet. He said, it is finished. And everyone thought, it's over. It's over. We've lost our Savior. But something they didn't realize, that three days and three nights would have to pass. And the power of the Holy Spirit would move into that tomb, praise God, and wake him up, hallelujah, on the third day. That you and I, praise God, can enjoy the presence of God this morning. Amen. We should rejoice in that. Isaiah said this, a dry ground. What's a dry ground? It's dry land. It's a wilderness. It's a drought. It's a solitary place. It's barren. Now let me explain what God was saying here. In this verse, the dry ground was Israel. And the Bible says that Jesus would come forth as a tender plant and as a root. Praise God for their dry ground. But the dry ground was also you and me in our sinful state. Follow. The dry ground. We were dry, man. We were lost and undone. We had no clue about God or about Jesus or about the Holy Spirit. But Jesus came into our life as what? As the tender plant and as the root out of the dry ground. He came into our life that was filled with weariness and dry tumbleweed and became, listen, the rose of Sharon in the dry ground of our soul. Hallelujah. I said he became the rose of Sharon in our dry soul. He was the rose in the desert, hallelujah, that flourishes in our life. And as it was warded by the word of God, we're able, hallelujah, to share the spiritual morning dew that falls upon us and the spiritual rain that moistens our soul with others that their dry ground, hallelujah, may be turned into a river of life through the power and blood of Jesus Christ. Aren't you happy you came into your dry ground? I said, aren't you happy you came into your dry ground? Yeah. We were dead and dried up with no life, nothing to look forward to, no hope. Praise God. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and 3, he is despised and rejected of men. Let that sink in. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. What's this saying? He said, if they rejected him, they will reject us. 
Hold on to your hats, my friend. Get a good hold on God as our pastor used to teach us. What's Jesus saying? Jesus here is a no count. He's considered a no count as they despised him and they deemed him worthless to them. He's a no count when he came upon the scene in the New Testament. Men reject him still today and they hide from him because of what? Because of their sin. They don't want to allow God's word to confront their sin. So what does man do best? Listen, corrupt man hides his face from God. I said corrupt man hides his face from God. Living in sin, man desires not to look upon God that sheds light on his darkness. Men don't want to hear word of God when they're in sin. Men don't want to hear a preacher under the anointing of the Spirit. Men don't want to worship and praise God when they're in sin. Listen to what the preacher is saying. God is holy. Living in sin, man desires not to look upon God because when you look upon God, he sheds light on your darkness. That's how you got saved. God is holy. And an unholy person can't be in agreement, praise God, with God. How can two walk together unless they agree? Solomon said that. How can we walk together if we're living in sin and we come into the church and we praise God? That's a dichotomy. That's a diversity. That's not a normal way to live a Christian life. It's not to say that we can't get right with God. It's not to say that we have to continue hiding from God. But man doesn't desire to look upon his face when he's in a sinful state. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God fellowship with them for a long time, I'm sure. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Did they actually think they could hide from God behind a tree? Think about what we hide from. Look what we use as barriers to hide from God. Look at the excuses that people use. Look at the denial. Look at the nonsense that people say to try to justify where they are outside of God's holiness. Praise God. Listen to this. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Hey, Adam. I'm here for our daily fellowship. And he said, I I heard thy voice in the garden and I I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What did Adam do? He hid himself. That didn't solve any of his problems. We can hide ourselves from this word and not open it and not digest it. And we can even go, ouch, when it touches us and hits our feet. But unless we respond, the Bible says in John 15 and 22, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Do you know why people hated Jesus? Because he revealed their sin. He uncovered their sin. His report, his report revealed their sinful nature. He said in John 15 and 22 in the way version, it says this, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. But as the case stands, they are without excuse for their sin. Why did they kill him? Why did they crucify him? 
Why did they have a mock trial that was full of lies and deceit? Why? Because he exposed them. It's kind of like politics today. You hate the messenger because the messenger exposes the sin that's been going on in our government and society for decades. And you would have no knowledge of that. And I'm going to say this. Unless God put the present president in office in the White House as a type of King Cyrus. You would have never known of any of this. It would have gone covered up. But you know, and I've known this as a preacher, when you begin to stir the nest and you begin to preach the word of God or tell the truth and you begin to take a stand, even if it's going to cost you, even if it's going to be a danger to you to step out on that platform and speak, knowing that many out there will write about you and try to assassinate your character because you revealed them and told the truth about who they really are. That's what's happening today, my friend. And in a few months, we'll have a choice. We'll have a choice to go with the cover-up or we'll have a choice, praise God, to go with the uncovering of the corruptness that's in our government. It's amazing. It's simply amazing how God has been revealing for almost four years the rot and the corrupt behavior of people who are trying to lead us to a nation of socialism. It's sad, my friend. I don't know about you, but I weep. I don't know about you, but I have tears in my eyes. I, I walk around with tears for our nation. You say, why? Because I love my country. I love the military. I love the police. I love firefighters. I love people that try to save other people's lives. Are, are there bad apples? Yeah, there's, there's bad preachers. There's bad cooks. There's bad restaurants. But we continue to eat. We continue to dine. And we continue to praise God. Hallelujah. Because not all ministers are corrupt. Hallelujah. That's just what we do. Hallelujah. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53 and 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Surely. What does that mean? Certainly. Truly. It's a strong word that God is saying this. Surely he has borne. He has taken our sorrows and taken our griefs. What are our griefs? It's our sickness, our disease, our pain, our wounds. What's our wounds? Those things that have happened to us, that for some are still open. For some, they're still fighting to try to ask God to mend those wounds. Jesus died for your pain. He died for your wounds. And, and sometimes we, we get into the moly grubs and we say, well, I don't even know if God cares. He does because he died for these specific areas of our life. It says in Hebrews 4.15, I'll read two versions. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, all points, your sorrows, your griefs, your pain, your wounds, but in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. It says this in the way version. For we have not a high priest who is unable 
to feel for us in our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in every respect, just as we're tempted, and yet he did not sin. He understands my pain. Even when I don't fully understand it. He understands my grief. He understands the burden that comes upon your soul. When you look across the street and down the road and see mayhem and lawlessness and you see people being placed in terror. It's sad, my friend, of what's taking place in our society because it's not God's will. It's just not. God is about peace and he's about justice. But I want to tell you another thing. He's about going against injustice. Hear what I'm saying? And the judgment of God will fall. And the sword will fall if we're not careful as Christians to pray and ask for divine intervention from God. We cannot get lazy. We cannot sit on our leaves and our duff. But we must arise, praise God. And we must cry out to God and hold on to the horns of the altar and plead with God to let God's long-suffering fall upon us and that His grace and mercy would come upon us not just for your sake, but for the sake of our children and for the sake of our children's children and for the sake of their children and our posterity. If Jesus tarries, this is not just about us. It's not just about our happiness. It's not just about our comfort. It's looking down the road and seeing into the eyes of little children and wondering what they're going to wake up to in four months. This is real. This is real, friend. I wrote about and I watched a video of a mother with a little child in her car the other day being surrounded by a mob for no good reason. No good reason. Pounding on her car. Pounding on her windows. Made a call to 911. And the dispatcher said, we, we can't respond. And she said, they're attacking me. And the 911 dispatcher said, you need to contact City Hall and tell them your frustrations. I watched another man pulling his RV, minding his own business on a road with his family. And a mob surrounded, punching, pounding his car and pounding. I saw a video last night of a young man taking what looked like some kind of a club in a parking lot. And going from car to car and busting every windshield and back window. Jumping on top of cars and one by one by one by one busting people's windows. God is against lawlessness. God is for law and order. Because there might come a day, my friend, when you're going to have to call 911. And you might get a dispatcher saying, well, we'll send you a social worker. In three or four days to talk to you and express your feelings to them. My friend, when someone's breaking into your home and someone's trying to harm you, especially a female or a child, my God, you don't need a social worker. You need a man with a gun. You need a priestman. You need someone who's law enforcement. You need someone that's going to say to the bully, guess what, sir? That's right. Wrong answer. 
You're trespassing. It's the wrong house. I took great delight last night. You know, this might not go well on sermons and going across where it goes. I took great delight last night to see three different places in America where protesters were going to come in. And in one city, there was 1,000 people armed with AR-15s. They said, come on in. We just want to make sure that you're going to be peaceful. And in three different cities in America last night, people rose up by the hundreds. And in one place, a thousand people showed up and said to them, you will not break a window. You will not burn down a building. You will not loot a store. And you will not mug some old man or some old woman. Guess what? Because we will take care of business and we will throw you out. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Second Amendment. God doesn't want that to come to pass. He doesn't want that to come to fruition in our land where we have to count upon a a militia or a neighborhood group that's armed to guard neighborhoods in each other's homes. This is not the Wild West, my friend. This is America. This is America. It's not the Wild West. But people are turning it into the Wild West because they're anarchists. They're against capitalism. They're against freedom. They want to know something. Enjoy church while you can, my friend. Hear what I'm saying. You heard it from the preacher. Enjoy coming to church while you can. Because it might not always be that way in our country. Hear what the preacher's saying. It's prophetic. Enjoy church while you can. It's going out wherever this video goes. Enjoy church where you can. If you look at China... And you look at the people that are being tortured and killed for their faith. And churches by the hundreds being burned down and crosses taken off. And Bibles being taken out of churches, driving people to the underground. But I have to tell you that the reports coming out of China, that tens of thousands every week are being saved in China, despite, praise God, the church going underground. Because there's people of faith that will stand on the word of God and get on a bicycle and take a Bible somewhere knowing their lives are in danger and they'll be baptized in water in some river or lake and say praise God we're going to serve Jesus Christ even if it kills us we're so soft in America but be careful it's going to come our way if we're not careful because how can we escape I believe the only thing that we can pray for right now is the long suffering and grace of God to give us four more years of grace I believe that. Hear what I'm saying? We can go back to our sealed panel homes like in the book of Haggai. And we can arm ourselves. And we can pleasure ourselves. And we can have all the amenities of life. Let me remind you as a pastor. There's a world outside of your home. That's in desperation right now. I said there's a world outside of your home that's in desperation and is trying to find and make some sense of life once again in America. It's not the way I was raised. It was not the way I was brought up. And it grieves me. It actually depresses me, to be honest with you. It's hard to sleep. I sit in a chair sometimes and I say, God, what, what's next? I know you're doing something. I know it. But God, I have to be honest. Can you do it a little more quickly? 
Because I'm getting impatient. Because I want to see my grandchildren grow up in a society where they can become whatever they can be in Christ. Where they can reach their full potential. Where they can find a mate for life. And enjoy a home and a job. And a dinner and a movie. And an ice cream soda. Come on, friends. This is what's happening in our country. We're losing it. We're losing it. And we can't stand by and not say anything about it. And we can't compromise our stand for the word of God. We must stand and believe the report of the Lord. I've got good news today. If you believe his report, you can have a brand new life. I've got good news for you today. We don't have to sin any longer. Hallelujah. You can be saved. Hallelujah. And you can be made whole. Because I've got a good report. Jesus died on Calvary over 2,000 years ago. And the moment that you believe this report and accept this report, the transformation takes place. For the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That happened to me. It happened to me 47 years ago. And I'm still on fire for God. Don't tell me that the light goes out and gets dim. Yes, I come to church for a refueling. Yes, I do. And I spend as much of a day I can every day with the Lord for a refueling. Yes. Because I get weak and I get tired and I get fatigued. But there's additional infillings of the Holy Spirit if we pray and ask God to crown us with His glory and His power and His anointing to go one more day, to preach one more day, to stand one more day, to write something one more day that might influence one person that they might come to Christ. Some people say, preacher, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. So does the devil. I'm a good person, preacher. There's a lot of good people. But God says, my goodness is as filthy rags. It's unrighteous. There's a difference between religion and salvation, my friend, for, you, for those of you that are listening. There's a difference between religion and salvation. Religion keeps you in bondage. Salvation gets you free. Hallelujah. Will you believe the report? Will you be washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will you be set apart for God? We don't have to sin. We don't really have to be sick. We can be healed by the power of God. We don't have to be poverty stricken. You say, what are you saying? All I'm saying is to you the report. 3 John 2 says this. Beloved, that's you. I wish above all things. Now, I didn't write that. I said I didn't write those words. Those words came by the power of the Holy Spirit through the disciple John. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things, all things, that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. You know, there's a link between a desire and a hunger and thirst for the word of God and prosperity and health. 
That's what God was trying to convey to Joshua. He said, if you meditate upon this law day and night, thou shalt have good success and thou shalt prosper. That's right. And you've always heard me say, God's not against prosperity. He's not against money. That's how we support missions and missionaries and poor people who don't have enough in poor countries. He's against the love of money, which is the root of all evil. And my friend, there's two things in this world that man strives for outside of God. Money and power. Mammon. Seek ye first the kingdom of mammon. That's what some people believe in. Zuckerberg found out yesterday that it might not work out too good for him. Nike found out yesterday that it might not work out too good for them either. Almost $800 million in losses, 46% sales down. Got to lay off people. You stand for the right thing, God will bless you. You stand for the wrong thing, there'll be a punishment. It might not be today because payday isn't always on Friday, but payday will come. No man wants to lose $7 billion of his wealth. No man. No billionaire, no millionaire. No. They want more because they're greedy for power. But you know, the chickens come home to roost. Praise the Lord. Because the judgment of God will come upon those that think they're above the law. That think they're above God. That think they're omnipotent themselves. And they think that they can sit on their throne and declare themselves king because they have money. A 55-year-old man just the other day jumped from a building. A billionaire. 55 years old. Jumped from a building. Man had everything in the world that you can even ask for. Why would a 55-year-old man jump from a building? You know why? He didn't believe the report. I said he didn't believe the report. He had everything, my friend. And you can have everything in this life. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And if you're not led by the Holy Spirit, you're just in a quandary, walking around in circles like a hamster on a wheel, spinning around. We are the ones that should prosper. He has provided. It's his report. God is not obligated to bless you unless you believe and accept the report. Personally. You have to meet the conditions. Matthew 6.33 But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Some say, don't tell me how to live, preacher. Some say, don't tell me how to live, preacher. I must. It's in the report. Holiness is part of the report. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. What is holiness? Holiness is sanctification, which is a fancy word for separation and consecration unto God. Separation from that world and the things that the world wants to offer us that are not good for our soul, that are sinful. You don't hear messages on sanctification anymore. You heard it in the old church. It means to dedicate yourself. To set yourself apart for God. It's a reverence, praise God, and a mere, a moral purity before God. Free from guilt. Listen, when you're walking toward God and you're free in your spirit, you're not walking around with guilt, my friend. Your conscience is not pricking you this morning. 
It's when we're outside of the will of God. You say, preacher, why, why are you keep telling me how to live? I have to. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you, unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Preacher, why are you telling me how to live? Because I have to. Why? Because it says in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Preacher, don't tell me how to live. I have to. Why? Because it says in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which has obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What is God saying? We're children of God and we're different. From those in the world that do not believe the report. Are you different? Are you different? A lot of Christians play pretend. Depending on who they're around. It don't matter because God will unmask you. I said God will unmask you. Especially if you have the virus of sin. And pretend and compromise. I didn't write the book. And you can say to me, Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. Listen, I've been there many, many times in my lifetime. I've lost position. I've lost money. Momentarily and temporarily, I've lost reputation because of people's lies. Don't tell me I haven't been there. I've been there. Trust me. I've been there. I've been in sorrow. I've been in grief. I've been in warfare for my own soul. I know what it feels like. I have to warn people. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I'm above anybody. Because it's a mandate from God to preach the word of God from the sacred pulpit and live the best life that you can in Jesus. That's what the word says, my friend. What is the report? Let me tell you what the report is. It's found in Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded. Did you ever get wounded? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. What does this mean, Pastor? This is the report right here. This is the report. He was wounded. What does it mean? He was profaned. He was treated as common, even though he was the son of God. He was defiled. He was polluted. They violated his honor. They dishonored him. They violated his body. They pierced him. He was wounded, my friend. This wasn't a cupcake walk up Golgotha's hill. This, this wasn't a tiptoe through the tulip. 
that, okay, guys, do what you got to do. We'll get this over with. This is a wounding. He was wounded. For who? For our transgressions. What is that? Our sins. Our rebellion. Our obstinacy. Our stubbornness. Our revolt against God. What kind of savior is this? That in my sin, I was revolting against the word of God, but yet he went to the cross to die for me. Well, what kind of God is this? Well, what kind of savior is this? That I was rebellious to God's word, thinking I knew all the answers. I got this, I thought. My dad's a dinosaur. Don't take his advice. Come on, come on. Come on now. Didn't you think that way? Some people still think that way. Come on now. Then when I got married and had children, I started to realize my father did say a few things that were right. Yeah, come to <laughs> then when I turned about a few years later and had another child and another child, I finally realized that a lot of what my dad said was completely right. How did I just dismiss it? Because I was rebellious and revolt, not only to him, but to the word of God. So a savior comes and he says, Colombo, I'm going to die for your rebellion and your revolt. That's how much I love you. How, how many people would do that for you? It's hard to get somebody to give you five bucks, let alone die for you. And if you give them five bucks, you've got, you got to write a promissory note and have a witness. And you have to have it sealed by Diane as a, one of those notaries that you're going to pay back to five bucks. Isn't it true? interest. Exactly. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised. You know what the word bruised means? It means to be crushed or broken in pieces. It means to be broken. It means to be humbled. His mother, his disciples, the women that he delivered from demons were at the foot of that cross. And he was on that cross Badly clad, embarrassed before family, friends, and disciples, and men and women that he delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was oppressed. He was shattered in pieces on that cross. That's why they said his visage was beyond comprehension. You couldn't look upon him. He was marred beyond recognition. He was bruised for our iniquities. What are those? Our perversions. This world is full of perversions. Can't even talk about that behind a pulpit. Can't even talk about it. Because it's sick behavior. It's deviant behavior. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross for your perversions. Who would do this? Who would even help a person that has perversions? Who would even bother with them? Let alone die for them. But it was not only perversions. It was depravity of man. It was man's guilt, which is a consequence of punishment for our iniquities. Think about it. Think about someone who wants to come to your life and say, 
I want to rid you of guilt of all the things that you've done in your life that was not good for you or for others and all the people you hurt and trashed. Wait a minute, what kind of savior is this? What kind of man would come from heaven who sits at the right hand of the Father, who would heed the call, who would be born as a child and raised up and knowing at 30 years old, he would walk into the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist and a dove would fall upon him in the power of the Holy Spirit and the Father would call from heaven and say, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Believe the report. He went to that cross for our perversions, for our depravity, for our guilt. And you know guilt can consume you. Guilt is a cancer. Man, people walk around with guilt every day. Needlessly. And Jesus said, hold on here a minute. I'm coming. Because Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied that the virgin would give birth to the baby. 700 years before, Isaiah was warning the people, help is on the way. Help is on the way. And help came over 2,000 years ago, my friend. Listen, he's not coming back as the lamb anymore. He's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not coming back to be crucified. He's coming back to be king of kings. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords. He is the savior of the world. Why don't people believe the report? To rid themselves of an unholy life. Do you know why? Because the book of Romans says they knew God. They knew him. But they denounced him. They knew the truth. But they trampled upon it. And took up for themselves a life of depravity and hopelessness. And there's people walking this earth again, in this world, they will never feel a touch of God again because they have frustrated the grace of God. That's a terrible state to be in, my friend, knowing that when you die, you're doomed because they know there's a hell. They're doomed. But they take delight in continuing their perversions. They take delight in continuing their sins. He came to do what? Wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement, that's a great word, of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you know what the chastisement was? The punishment that should have gone to me. Come on, you, 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 you were raising a family with siblings. That's right. And you knew you did something wrong, but you lied. And you told your mama and your father it was him, my brother, that did that. And your brother took the whooping for you. Isn't it true? You took the beating. And you were in the other room saying, I escaped. But you felt real bad about your brother taking the beating. 
Jesus came because he didn't want you to take a beating. Come on, my friend. Are you with me here? I said Jesus came because he didn't want you, hallelujah, to endure the correction and the punishment and the beating. So he said, Colombo, I'll take it for you. Wow. You're kidding. No. I want to show you what great love I have for you, son. That I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And all that's unholy in your life, that you may be saved and become a new creature in Christ. The chastisement of our peace. Do you know what that peace is? Completeness. Soundness in body. Our welfare, our good, our safety, our health. Our prosperity of quiet and peace. Our peace is the tranquility that God gives us. It's the contentment and the friendship that we have with God on an intimate level spiritually. The chastisement of our peace. God is saying... Let me take that from you. You've been carrying it so long. You've been in such a depression. You've been in such a deluge. You go to bed with it and you wake up with it. Why? I died for you, daughter, son, young person. And by my stripes, you know what those stripes are? It was the black and blue that was applied to the body of Jesus, to the whippings and the torture, and the bruisings, and the woundings, and the blows that his body took. He took the stripes, 39 major categories of sin. I can't imagine what was upon him that day. I can't imagine the sickness and the disease. I can't imagine what was upon the Savior upon that cross. But he said, I'll take it for you, so you don't have to have it. So you don't have to endure it. And by my stripes, he said, we are healed. Isaiah said that 700 years before the birth of Christ. Right. Knowing that Christ would come to heal us. Listen, you can't tell me that your life in Christ is not better than one that you had before Christ. Right. Oh, Pastor, there's been wounds. Yes. There's been griefs. There's been sorrows. Many. But how many times did the Savior come and get down on his knees and pour oil and wine into your wound like the Good Samaritan did to that man that was beaten on the highway and picked him up and took him to the closest inn and paid the bill and told the innkeeper, I will come back and pay you anything extra that it cost you. This is the same Jesus, my friend, that one day bowed down upon your body, soul, and spirit with tears flowing down his cheeks, pouring in the wine and oil, and saying to you, child, be healed, be free, have peace. I speak tranquility and serenity to your soul. 
He did this for you. He did this for me. And he did this for the entire world that none should perish. But who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? In closing, this report did not come from Washington, D.C. Come on, come on. This report did not come from the Surgeon General. But this report came from the throne room of heaven. This report came from the commander-in-chief of the angel armies. This report came from Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I close with this. Many don't believe the report. Many have never heard the whole report because preachers are afraid to preach the full gospel. The question is for those that are listening, where is your church? Where is Jesus in your church? Is Jesus in your heart? Is Jesus trying to get into your church? Is Jesus trying to get into your heart? Because the Bible declares in Revelation 3.20, and this is in the report, he says, behold, I stand. I stand firm. I stand fixed at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and he will sup with me and he with me. Let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that this book of Revelation in the first chapters up to Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 was written to the churches at that time. And it's a reference to us this day. Jesus is standing outside the door of thousands of churches in America. And he's knocking on the door and he's saying, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed but Lord we read a book the book of Acts is not for today but Lord miracles great happenings are not for today and the Lord is knocking on the doors of the church. Listen, when the church gets it right, the nation will get it right. But what those in the nation are trying to do is close the door of the church. And take down now worship on social media. Take down worship on Instagram. Take down those things that we write and we post about Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if it continues, it's coming to a neighborhood near you. Jesus is knocking on the door, not only of the church, but of the Christian. You say, Pastor, I'm saved and I don't doubt. But do you need a refilling? Do you need to go up one spiritual rung on the spiritual ladder? Or are we playing maintenance? When you play maintenance, you're actually going backwards and not forward. We must take up our cross 
and walk daily with the Lord and hear the knock and the voice of God. For in any hour, the Lord shall sound a trumpet from heaven. Hallelujah. And if we're not clear about what we believe, and if we're not clear where we stand, and if we're not clear about this report, we will be deceived. Finally, when the disciples came to Jesus as he was about to be crucified and leave, they said, Master, when will the end of the world take place? A legitimate question. Seeing that there was great persecution in those days, Jesus turned to them with a remarkable answer that didn't seem to fit for the moment. He said to the disciples, let no man deceive you. Think about it. Let no man deceive you. Man's worst enemy is himself because he lies to himself and deceives his own heart. He doesn't even need help from the devil. We, praise God, must ask God to intercede. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We appreciate your love and your grace and your mercy. And I pray, God, that you'll knock on the door of this church continually and knock on the door of our hearts that we might heed your call and do your will in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. God bless you, and thank you for listening. Amen.